are in, um, actually, I think there's, uh, yeah, you're good. Uh, we are uh, doing our original Christmas playlist, and if you would turn in your Bibles back to Luke chapter 1, and uh, we'll be looking at the second uh, Christmas song in, the, in the, the birth stories of Jesus. So, if you would, sorry guys, getting settled here. Okay, and we're going to be starting in, in verse 67, so if you'd be looking at with me either on the screen or in your Bible or on your phone or something, um, hear the word of God. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and at the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy of Promise to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people For the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sun rise shall visit us on high and give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word, um, that you would um, uh, show yourself to us, show us the good news of your son, Jesus that it would be ever-present and clear to us. And uh, Lord, um, you 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 alone can speak through your word. Nobody came to hear Russell this morning, so speak through this broken vessel. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, they've started. We mentioned this last week. The songs. Can't go, can hardly go to the the gas station or store, get in the car, turn on the radio, even turn on the TV. You are going to hear Christmas songs. And there's nothing like Christmas songs that will get us into the Christmas spirit. Nothing like it. Um, and, and we love them, though, right? Most of the time, we really love them, especially the really well-known ones, the classics. Like, for example, um, bring up the song here, this one here, John Denver and the Muppets. Y'all remember that one? Oh, come on. It was a whole show with this one. This was great. Anyway, uh, but we do. We, I mean, obviously, I brought that up for fun. Uh, but the, the, the songs, you know, most of us grew up hearing the, the Christmas songs, and nothing really gets us into a Christmas mood, Christmas spirit, like uh, Christmas songs. And, uh, you know, and like we saw last week with Buddy the Elf, you can move on. Uh, Buddy the Elf last week told us, right, that, that there's, there's no, no better way to spread Christmas cheer than sing aloud for all to hear. Remember all that? And so we're talking about Christmas spirit. Um, and, you know, and we looking, you know, if you're trying to get your Christmas spirit going, you might build a playlist on your uh, iPod. Does anybody even have iPods anymore? It's like our phones now. You know, you're going to build it on your phone or on your computer or something. You're going to build a Christmas playlist, or maybe you'll borrow one off of Spotify or somewhere like that, uh, but we, we're going to have our, well, I think there's no better place to find 
genuine, true Christmas spirit than to go back and look at the original Christmas playlist. And Luke, in his gospel, his biography of Jesus, um, gives us the, the first Christian songs. Um, these songs have been sung and read and studied for thousands of years. And I think if we, as we look at these, um, we saw last week, uh, and these have uh, fancy Latin names that the, the Latin Roman church gave them. The last week was the Magnificat. And this week, we're going to look at Zechariah's song. Um, and I'll give you the fancy Latin word later. Okay, um, But last week we saw uh, that, you're, you're ahead of me, just stay on that title slide for a minute. Um, but last week we saw what true Christmas spirit is. And we concluded that genuine, the heart of Christmas spirit is a spirit of worship and delight in God. Glorifying and enjoying God forever. And, and, and the way, the first way that you're going to get there is by recognizing your need, right? We saw that. Our need for him in, in, our, in our provisions and in our, in our need for strength and ultimately our need for a savior in our sins, right? And so in that place of need, Mary, when she realized that God is meeting her in that need, she burst forth in songs. And so um, that's what... That's what these songs do. They call us to something. They call us, I mean, even regular Christmas songs, they call us to remember. They call us to get ready. They call us to be thinking about Christmas. Well, these songs call us as well to genuine uh, Christmas spirit. And so this week, uh, as we've already seen, Zechariah's song, we're going to see two vital aspects to genuine Christmas spirit. Okay. Christmas spirit is a spirit of believing, and it's also a spirit of singing. Okay, so let's look at those two together. Okay, um, Christmas spirit is a spirit of believing. Right um, now, for some of us, Christmas spirit is it's it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, for some people, it. Uh, some people look at Christmas spirit and they think of Christmas spirit and they, they're actually annoyed or bothered by it. Uh, they, uh, they, they think it's a, just a time where uh, you, it's this candy-coated sentimentality and nostalgia, a time when the hellish realities of this broken, messed-up world are ignored and attempted to be forgotten, a time when the hurt and pain of this world is medicated with consumerism, indulgence, and spiked eggnog. Seriously, some people, Christmas is a time of remembering that people aren't there. There is loss and these kind of things. And so the idea of having Christmas spirit <laughs> is not a fun thing. It is not a good thing. It is really more of an annoyance. And honestly, Zachariah's experience may have been a lot like that during his life. Okay, think about, let's look at Zachariah. Um, Zechariah was a well, he was a priest. He was one of at the time likely eighteen thousand priests. Okay, in order to do the regular duties, they, at the time they would have said it took about eighteen thousand different priests throughout the year, and he was one of those. And he was selected this particular day. We're going to see here in chapter one to 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 labor as a priest. 
But Zechariah labored as a priest in a time of tumult, division, conflict. Rome was the power of the day. And for, for most believing Jews, most Jews, they felt like God had pretty much abandoned them. Or that they were at least under his judgment. Um, the occasional hope of Messiah coming. Because there was these, there was always these characters coming along saying, I'm the Messiah. You know, like you think about that Maccabean revolt and others. But those were always met with harsh, harsh judgment from the Roman Empire. And so uh, it was not a good thing normally. And so, and then personally, his life was one of, of heartbreak as well. Um, and so, uh, so for a Jewish man in the first century, let's look at his life. Okay, one of the hopes that every man had was that they would have children. Particularly if they would have a son. And so when we, when we met, meet, met Elizabeth last week, she speaks of when, when she eventually does have this baby. And she's finally, you know, this baby is within her. She talks about how God met her in her disgrace. So for a woman, not to have children meant you were just shameful, disgraceful. And so Zechariah, you know, his life likely is just not what it was supposed to be in his mind, likely. Uh, and then his old age, his wife's old age, the idea of having children was pretty much a lost hope. And so here he is, just probably going through the motion. He's just doing the religious duty. He's doing what he's got to do. And... Here he is, he's going in, he's got to do his incense, you know, and he's doing the rituals and supposed to say the prayers or whatever, and something remarkable happens. Here he is in the temple, and something happens. So um, look, look at with me. I'm, we're going to back up in chapter 1. Look up back in verse 18 with me. It says this, and Zechariah, you with me, is it on there? And Zechariah said to the angel, is it not up there? No? Okay, that's cool. Just read, if you have a Bible, just read along. And Zechariah, so this angel comes to him in the midst of the temple while he's doing these incense and tells Zechariah, you're going to have a baby. And you're going to give him a name, John. And this is what Zechariah responds. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And he was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I say, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in this time. So here's Zechariah is in the temple. The, the angel comes to him and tells him he's gonna, they're going to have a baby. And he's like, I, does that How's that even possible? He doesn't believe. And so the angel basically proclaims judgment. That he's gonna, his mouth is going to be shut until this, this, this comes about. Now, y'all know this story, right? Uh, and so here he is. But here's the thing. Um, Zachariah's refusal to believe, okay, wasn't just... Oh, he's not a big deal, whatever. All, basically, Zachariah's refusal to believe that God could intervene was actually, at his heart, a rejection of the gospel. So it's a, it's a serious thing that happens here. 
Zechariah, though, I mean, he really, he's probably lost all hope. He's moving through the, the idea of Christmas spirit to him would have been a joke, like we mentioned. And so here's this, he's put before him, God is now going to come and intervene into your situation. Not just in your situation, but everybody's situation. But here's the thing, because he didn't believe that God could intervene in this situation, how could he believe anything else? He couldn't believe that God could give him a baby. How could he believe that God would send a Messiah that would release all of creation from uh, sin and and corruption or even later raise Jesus from the dead or, or save people from their sins? Now, here's the thing, though. Well, you would say, well, that's pretty harsh. I mean, like to make him mute up until this time or whatever. But here's the reality of it is he should have known better. If anybody should have known better in terms of this. If somebody should have believed, should have known that this is how God works. Here's a guy, he's a priest. He should have preached and taught uh, Abraham's story. How many times? Moses' story. All these stories throughout the Old Testament. This was kind of normal for God. But here he is. He has come to a place, okay, where he can't believe. Um, and because Zechariah was to be one who would proclaim the truth, a priest, now he's going to be silent. He should have been one who come out of there saying, guess what God is doing? I get to tell you guys this. That's my job. That's his job. That's like me, a preacher. If a preacher loses his voice, it's a bad day for the preacher, right? That's happened to me. I had, I had when we were in Memphis, um, I was... Uh, assigned to go preach at this little church down in Mississippi. And I had caught cold that week. And I got there, and I couldn't even talk. It was like, I mean, and I had to go through this sermon, like, sounding like, you know, a frog. I'm not kidding. It was was horrible for me. It was probably horrible for everybody there. I mean, I sound like a frog in any way, but it really sounded horrible like a frog. So... But that's where he is. I mean, he should have known better, and there he was. And so, but here, look at the contrast between Zechariah and Mary. If somebody should have known and, and would have thought, okay, yes, God is doing something. This is how he works. This is what he does. And, of course, he's going to meet me in the temple. I'm a priest. Who else would get it? Who else would get it? And when else would you get this message and this awesome thing that would happen? And, you know, Mary... There's nothing about Mary that would have told her that she would be involved in this situation. We, we kind of went through that last week. You know, she's a young peasant girl from a podunk trailer park out in the middle of Galilee. I mean, it's just, I mean, how many thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of little Jewish girls have lived, gone through their life and died without anything, anything of note. And she could have been one of those. She's a, she was a grain of sand on the beach. And she believed. Okay, so. um, God's priest is called first to believe and then proclaim, right? That was was his job. And so here's, here's the thing about this. Okay, and what does this have to do with Christmas spirit? Because Christmas spirit is a spirit of believing. It's, a, it's trusting and believing 
that God has and does and will intervene in our lives. True Christmas spirit is a belief and trust that God has indeed intervened into the narrative of our lives. But many of us, like Zechariah, we're just going through the motions. Like, God God can't fix this situation. God can't help this. God can't help me. God, what what is God going to do? We just, we, we do the motions. Just like Zechariah very often. But the... True Christmas spirit is a belief and trust that God has indeed intervened into the narrative of our lives and sent his son to rescue us from our sin and our captivity, as you see in this song. What's our sin? It's just ultimately our selfishness. It's really rescuing us from us. What's our captives? It's the things that bind and hold our hearts and, and the things that we place our trust in. Jesus has come to release us from those things. So God has come into our story very much like Zechariah, okay? And even though he's going through the motions and he doesn't believe. But, and, but when he does believe, we see that God is indeed intervening into the story. Okay, let's, let's look at it, okay? Bring up the slide there. It's a big list. Okay, I, I wanted y'all to, is it up? Yeah, we go. I wanted y'all to see this visually, because this is all the aspects that he comes out in his song. Okay? It says, uh, okay, it's those who are lost. God sent his son that those who are lost might be redeemed. Verse 68. Those who, um, who've been defeated might be victorious. Verses 69 and 71. Those who are in bondage might be delivered. Verse 74. Those who are ignorant might have knowledge. Verse 77. Those who are guilty might be forgiven. Verse 77. Those who are in darkness might have light. Verse 79. Those who... Fear death might be moved from fear, might be free from fear forever. Verse seventy nine. Those who are at war might now live in peace. We're going to talk about peace next week. So, well, here's the real question: Is do you believe God has indeed intervened and is intervening? That's what Christmas is really all all about. Comes down to: Am I like Zachariah, or am I more like Mary? Which is it? Am I, am, I, am I struggling to really believe this season that God has indeed intervened? So Christmas spirit is a spirit of believing, but it's also a spirit of singing. So Zechariah comes around. You want to go on to the next point? Zechariah eventually does come around. That's the good part about this story is that once they actually have a baby. He's like, okay. All right, God, I believe you. <laughs> and so they go to the temple. It's probably eight, eight days later or seven nights later. Uh, they go to the temple to present their son for uh, circumcision. And so they're there and they're going to do this. And Zechariah believes. We're told in verse 67, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Now, again, like last time we said with Mary's song, we can kind of go through this and think, okay, she read the poem. So these are obviously poetry. Or in this case, you know, what does it mean to prophesy? You know, you think of somebody in like, you know, some kind of, you know, wearing like a 
you know, a bathrobe or something and, you know, screaming out in the wilderness or whatever, kind of crying out prophecies or whatever. But there's no doubt this was a song. Why? How do I know that? Okay. Remember I mentioned I was going to give you all the Latin name for this? It's called a Benedictus. Okay. And it's because of the first word. Okay. Which is blessed be God. And that's the Latin word for that. Well, this is very familiar. Okay, if you've, if you've ever been around any re- religious activities or, or Jewish parties or anything like that, it's a very common prayer that they sing a lot. It's called the Baruch Atah. Anybody ever heard of that before? Okay, and it goes something like this. Baruch Atah Adonai Aruhenu Melech HaOlam. I'll stop. It's like elf. It's like, I can sing out loud. Yeah, no, they really do sing it. They sing this, and this is the Baruch Atah. Blessed are you, God. And they'll fill in the blanks. And they'll pray for like 30 minutes before a meal, and then they'll do it in the middle of the meal, and they'll do it after. It's like, you know, if, if you go to a Reformed Jewish uh, uh, seminary or synagogue or something like that, you're going to hear the Baruch Atah. It's going to be that and the Shema. I don't know what's going on here. i got cables flying everywhere. I'm getting excited, okay? Um, so you're going to hear the Baruch Atah, you're going to hear the Shema and some other things. And this is what you get. He breaks out into a very common song, the Baruch Atah. And, and Zechariah believes and his voice is restored and he sings. And here's, here's the thing, you got to, this is the most important point here. The natural outflow of gospel belief is joyful proclamation. Now, not necessarily always singing. So we can. It's easy. Which Elf told us all you got to do is raise your voice and do, I'm singing. You know, that's very, you know, we can do that. But here's the thing. When we believe the gospel, we have that spirit of believing. Our lives sing the gospel. Our lives sing the gospel. In a very similar way, like we mentioned a few weeks ago, that... When, we, when our lives are steeped and saturated in the gospel, our lives have a certain smell. Remember that? I kind of co- contrasted that one, that our, our lives are a fragrant aroma to those who, who will believe. And it's also the fragrance of death to those who are not believing. We talked about what, are, what, is, our li- what is the smell of our life. But also, when we believe and, are, and we, we trust the gospel and that God has indeed intervened, our lives will have a certain sound. It will have a certain look. The natural outflow of gospel belief is joyful proclamation. And it, may be, it might be with words. A lot of times it's also in deed. It's, it's, um, and this is what we get from Zechariah. Okay? Though, as we saw earlier, this was supposed to be his job. His job is to be a priest. Now he finally finds his voice, and he believes, and his voice is freed, and he proclaims that, that God has indeed intervened in an amazing way. But here's the point with singing. Something we've got to see here. Okay? A great singer never really tries to make a point to themselves. Right? If you're a good singer, good performer... You let the music talk. You let the sounds do the talking, right? That, but that's not always the case. Because there's certain artists out there. Let's, let's use one. Miley Cyrus. Remember her? And she used to be the cute girl on that show. What was her name? Um, 
come on, uh, Hannah Montana. Remember her? Remember little Hannah Montana? She was so cute, you know, and she's very talented. And then she grew up, somewhere in her head, she thought, okay, it's not the music, it's acting stupid and, and being gross and being inappropriate. I mean, if you, like, I was going to show a picture and I couldn't. You know, my internet filter wouldn't let me see them. You know, it's, and she was just really, and, and, and somebody needs to just kind of shake her and tell her, listen, you will, you can be famous. People will listen to your music and buy your records and your videos or whatever else if you just produce good music, right? And that's the point with this. Um, when it comes to Zachariah, wasn't trying to make himself look good. He believed that God has indeed intervened in an amazing, miraculous way. And he sings to proclaim it. And let's look at Zachariah's son. Because this is a point here. Zachariah's son, John the Baptist. Um, so, John was an amazing gift to Zachariah, wasn't he? Think about it. We've already mentioned that the state of the Jewish man and his family... And, and the hopes that he would have would be pinned on having children. It was just a reality. To, even today for a lot of people. I've known people who haven't been able to have children. And it's a really tough, for some of them, really tough, really hard place to be. Um, and for, now here he is. He has this amazing gifts. Um, and uh, John was an amazing gift to, to Zachariah and Elizabeth. Okay, but it, it, here's the thing. This gift wasn't about Zechariah. It wasn't about Elizabeth. Nothing like that. Okay? The, the, this gift of, of John was given to Zechariah and them for a purpose. There was a reason this was happening. Okay? Here's the thing. Zechariah knew this. He starts to sing. All right? And for the first eight verses, not until verse 76, he doesn't even mention his son. So here he is, standing in the temple, holding his son, and he starts to sing the Baruch and he's praising God, and he's mentioning all the things that God is planning on doing and doing, and he doesn't even mention his son until verse 76. And it's like, oh, by the way, my son, you know what I'm saying, that kind of thing. And this is the kind of thing nowadays that this would happen. Like, uh, the kid would later on be, like, seeking counseling or something. You know, my dad forgot me in a song. So, like, you know, it's like I wasn't even that important to him, you know. Um, but it, it, they, John wasn't the point. There was, okay, John, we see in the song, had a, had a job to do and a role to fill. Verse 77 says, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. This child is actually coming to usher in the gospel age. He would be the one who's going to speak of God's coming rescuer. So even John in this picture has come and he has a job to do. And that is not to make a point of himself, not to make, make highlight himself so that later on we'd be talking about him, be famous or anything like that, but rather that he would be one pointing to somebody else. John was... To be God's prophet called to prepare the way for Jesus. And John himself knew this. Because in, in John chapter 3, if you look in John chapter 3, um, John's disciples, yeah, oh, it's up here. Let's read it. 
Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Keep going. Okay. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all, hear the word all? All are going to him. Keep going. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless he is given to him from heaven. Keep going. You yourself bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. And the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, excuse me, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Keep going. Is that it? Okay, then he goes on to say, he must increase, I must decrease. That's the next verse. So, John is saying, I'm like a best man. Anybody ever been a best man or a, a bridesmaid or whatever, right? It, your job as a best man in a wedding is not to get in between the, uh, the bride and the groom, right? Like that was, that's a bad day. Your job is not to be up front. And Can you see a best man, you know? Like wandering over and like standing like next to the you know the pastor or whoever's doing the ceremony. Like, oh man, what's going? It's not good form, right? No. What's the what's the best man or a, a bridesmaid supposed to do? Well, you know, make sure you know, and make sure everything goes right, and he doesn't fall and pass out or something, right? That's what, and and that's what he's saying. And so he's saying, my joy was just to make him look good and bring him. But here's the thing, John's. Disciples are coming to him, they're like, dude, we got this cool ministry. I mean, this ministry was popping. People were coming in thousands to come be baptized by John the Baptist to hear his message. It was a rough message, but it was a biblical one. Repent. (laughs) Turn away from your sin. Turn back to God. And yet, so these huge crowds are going, and here comes Jesus, and they all start going to do his thing. Everybody's leaving his church to go to this other church. And John the Baptist, like many of us, might think, this is a bad deal. What are you doing, God? Why are you doing this? And he says, listen, guys, I must become less so that he could become more. He realizes that a good singer doesn't make a a big deal of himself. He makes good music. He points to what's better. And that's what, so John's entire ministry was to gather this huge crowd and then watch them all go follow Jesus and then get arrested and die. That's a fun life, right? And, and he says, this is my joy. John's joy was that, he, but by becoming less, Jesus would become more. In his becoming less, Jesus would be more. Okay? No, what's going on there? Still doing it? Okay. We'll edit this part out. No. Okay. John the Baptist would become less so that Jesus could become more. Okay, so and we're we're supposed to be like Zachariah and very much be like John. Like Zachariah, a priest. 
and John a prophet, we are called lives that would sing the message of Jesus. We are called to live lives that sing the message of Jesus. So, for example, as priests, okay, 1 Peter 2, 9, says, you are a, you're called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're prophets. Matthew 11, verses 7 through 11, says this, and this is Jesus as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John the Baptist. What did you go out to, into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in a king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, more than a prophet. Is this, is, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no greater than John the Baptist. So we're told by Jesus himself that he is, in fact, a prophet and the greatest prophet ever. He, he would become, even after 400 years of silence, he would become... The last prophet, the last Old Testament prophet, the greatest of them all. Because he would be the one that gets to usher in and should point to Jesus. But then listen, yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus is saying, the smallest, most insignificant believer in the new church, the new kingdom, is greater than John. If John was the greatest prophet, how much more than it than we would be we are prophets we are priests we are called to live lives that sing the message of jesus and so like a good singer it means that we become less so that jesus can become more real quickly what does this mean okay in verse 74 we're told the reason god has intervened and blessed us that and it says this that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So God has intervened, has broken into our lives, has saved you and me from our sins from, and from all the things that can hold us into captivity from the enemy himself so that we could serve him without fear, that we would be those who would proclaim his name. And so I'm going to use John Piper here. John Piper says this a lot, talks about this idea a lot, okay? I, I think what John Piper would say is in the, that we would serve him without fear would be that we would serve him because we delight in God so much that the things of this world don't matter anymore. That the, we, there's no fear of losing out because of what, because what we've becoming less. You can become less because you have no fear, because you don't have to worry about becoming more. Because you know that God has already given everything that our hearts have delighted in. In other words, God has intervened and unloaded the dump truck, quote unquote, of blessings on us. And now we serve him without fear. We know that God has secured a place with him forever. So we can now serve him with abandon and sacrifice. See, 
John the Baptist didn't have to worry about his ministry. He didn't have to. He wasn't worried about it. He knew because Jesus was come. He has come and intervened. God has intervened in a special way. He didn't have to worry about it. He knew he had a place of joy and delight in the presence of God forever. And so he said, this is my joy. I get to, I get to sacrifice. I get to give my wife life away to point and make Jesus better. So, wrap up. Do you believe God's covenant promises? Do you believe that God can intervene even when it seems impossible? Do you think God can work through even the most horrible events? Does your life point to Jesus? And lastly, are you willing to become less that he might become more? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much.